let's prepare pickled cabbage with uh, for some people it's very similar to the kimchi uh, just with it's less strong less um, fermentation we do it more fresh and stuff so it's very simple is um, shredded cabbage carrots onions vinegar salt and oregano all natural nothing you know and to complement the cabbage we have um, a Roman tomato salsa that it goes on top of the cabbage and is roasted tomatoes, onions, garlic, and one jalapeno to make it just enough to actually um, get a little tingling in your in your tongue but without being uh, firing hot. So and we're gonna get the pupusas and we put it on then and here we go nice freshly pickled cabbage to complement the pupusas and uh, the tangy flavors it goes very well uh, with uh, the flavors of the pupusa which is the masa the beans and the chicharron so we do uh, right now we are um, having a pupusa and uh, we can either either put the pupusa, the pickled cabbage on top, or we can open it and then put um, the cabbage and the salsa on top and uh, roll it like a taco. And so you can have all the different flavors. One of my big things for me for food is the combination and all the flavors that explode in your mouth with any of them overpowering over the other ones. You still have to be able to feel and taste all the different ingredients there are in, in, in the pupusa and in the cabbage. Let's eat. Here we are. <laughs> Live from the Met. <laughs> I'm Kenneth Katz. Janet Flores Katz. And we are the owners of Buenos Dias Cafe. In La Bodega. And this is the Kosher Guacamole Podcast. Live from the Met in Atlanta. Welcome back. Episode three of our podcast. So last time, last time we talked about the changing neighborhood where the bodega is located and the change in Atlanta in general probably can push that out to change in all of society and what's going on in America. But we just picked our little corner of the world. This time, we're going to talk about owning a small business, growing a small business, and... It's all about the good, the bad, and the evil of being an entrepreneur. <laughs> and working with your spouse. Oh, that's the evil part. <laughs> <laughs> There's a perception when you work with your spouse that it's going to be a bad... Or your partner, I shouldn't say your spouse. Your partner, that it's not a good thing. And I don't know that Jeanette nor I agree with that. We, we met while we were at work, so we figured we knew how, we, how to work with each other and how to work together. And I think the biggest thing is to have uh, a united goal, which when you're running a business, the goal is the success of the business. And as long as you're in agreement on how you're going to get to that success and can divide the responsibilities accordingly, I think working with your spouse or partner isn't a challenge. You can't look at every single day every single action in your job 
you have to take the greater picture of the entirety. And so, so there's good days and there's bad days. If there couldn't be good days if you didn't have bad days. And that's for sure. So you know, if there's 300 days of work a year or something, you know, there's gonna be 100 good, 100 bad, 100 okay. You know, that's certainly gonna be the 100 best days, no matter what. Even if they're all great, there's still gonna be the best days and then the worst days. So whether you're dumping that on your partner at work or your partner that's not your home partner too it's the same thing so i don't i I just i also wonder sometimes about people's marriages and if they really are that worried about working with their their marriage their married partner what's going on at home (laughs) (laughs) again though we deal with food so when we're home we deal with food too we still have to feed our kids and ourselves when we're not here so it's not like we have to turn off the I'll make up something. The insurance brokerage brain and, and deal with home life. We're, this is a home. This is where you eat and where you relax, which is what you do at home as well. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I mean, I, I just cannot think it the other way. Maybe because I grew up in a business and all my family was like that. And when I met Ken, granted he has beautiful blue eyes, it was not it was not the only thing, you know. He also wanted to have his own business. So um, it's nothing more rewarding or more satisfying than have a partner that, with a common goal. How we get there, we still don't know. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. We just grind it every day. One factor and the reason it works for Jeanette and I is that we've been married almost 20 years, been together 27 years. No, we've been married 23 years. 23 years. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you don't even know our anniversary. So. And, it's, and it's our email. <laughs> so, but we've been married and together a long time. And we didn't start with, in business together from day one, not even close. So I think we know where our focuses are on work, where our focus on strengths are for each of us at work and at home. And so there's no lack of balance. I think a lot of times you'll find that partners in business and in marital relations, besides money, the other frustration is the feel that someone's not holding up their end of the deal. And I don't think in our case that's an issue because if one of us is doing the heavy lifting on one part of our lives, the other one's doing the heavy lifting at another part of our lives. So it's not a big deal. I think if we had started when we were younger, some of the challenges we would have faced was not have the family support you probably need. And not because our family didn't support us. We don't come from big families and we weren't living near them. So it's tough. So I think your support network is really critical if you're just starting. It's important no matter what. But when you're just starting out, you may not have a full understanding of what your family dynamic is as well as what your business is going to need and then in a relationship you have to make sure you're ready for the stresses of the relationship there have been bad days you know the pandemic has certainly made us have bad days so if we're not there for each other i don't know how young couple i don't remember how to relate how we would have handled this when we first got together and certainly once we first got married i'm very good in um stressful times uh, the first three years is practically a hobby. 
because you put in money, more money, and you don't even pay yourself, right? Um, but if you really, really want it, you know, the people who are not successful are the ones who quit. I think also it's that the husband and wife or the partners are on the same page as far as how the business is going to get there. And it's, there's some variable, there's some vulnerability in there and willing to say that their original idea isn't exactly right, but they have to be willing to accept that the public is telling them what is needed. Passion stays the same. Passion is a critical part in your home life and in the work life. But yeah, you have to want to go to go in every day. If it becomes a job, you can just do it for someone else. But if you're, if you're going in to your work because you want to make it a better place, a better environment every day, it's it's pretty easy to go in and it's easy to maintain that level of commitment. Yeah, we've come into a bunch of apples, <laughs> needless to say. There is apple fritters, apple bread, apple sauce. Everything is apple right now. <laughs> so fresh made dog treats and everything like that, that humans can't eat. It was like the king of apples. <laughs> My name is DJ try to do as much as possible and just help Ken and Jeanette out wherever needed. Don't really consider myself to have a title. <laughs> In my background is back of house, um, just creating recipes and making new dishes and new pastries and stuff like that. Ken and Jeanette are really nice people and just everything is just a lot more relaxed. My stress level is nowhere near what it used to be, the consistency of scheduling the best part, I guess, it, it, it feels like I'm working with friends. The bodega had a unique opportunity from the beginning in that we had a, uh, a built-in window space for to-go food, even before COVID, that could serve as an opportunity for small businesses to incubate their businesses and grow. The original idea was would create the habit of owning your food business and having to feed people on a regular basis, um, whether it daily, weekly, monthly, however you committed to being here. It morphed into a real incubator project, though, where small businesses were testing out their product, seeing how it got to market, learning how to market it to the community um, using mostly social media, and also giving them sales records both for what their product sells and what their expected sales can be so that when they are ready to go brick and mortar they can bring those numbers to the bank or to the investment groups and say where they think their business is going to go we've hosted about 12 different businesses with four more scheduled before the year is out so sometimes the glamour of owning a restaurant is very different of the reality of it growing your business creating the brand being consistent in the marketplace all comes at us a price of long-term vision we had one pop-up vendor who was trying to use our space but our fee was too high our, our fee is the equivalent of $2,200 a month but on a daily basis so $75 for use it for the day which includes utilities and some furnishing so that's obviously i think it's pretty low but and 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 also again like we we're talking about if you're looking into making money in the food industry and day one i mean you might make money day one but the other six days that you need to be open 
it is going to balance it out. And that's the confusion sometimes from the puppet industry. That just because you're very successful in your pop-up doesn't mean you're going to be successful when you have your own restaurant. Because you have to be there for seven days a week. So it's a total different game. The restaurant econo- economy is changing. was changing even before COVID and how restaurants had to pivot. Uh, online has become a major f- part of what we all do. And there's interesting ways in which companies and businesses are jumping into it. We talked about in the last episode how these companies are making brands that don't really exist to try and fit into the hippier or trendier neighborhoods in communities so that the anti-corporate business doesn't find them. But if you do a little research, you see that that taco stand is really owned by a much bigger company than you realize, not the two guys that you see there every day. Um, online is doing the same thing. There's this thing called ghost kitchens where it's kind of every every state, every county has their own rules. But basically, you can create an online presence using an existing establishment and create a completely different business. So the nighttime seafood restaurant can become a sandwich shop at lunch, sell online, not have customers come in, not really pay any extra staff, just teach your prep cooks who are there during the day how to make sandwiches. And then pay DoorDash and Uber to send it out. Uh, they are also um, taking away that relationship that you have with the community. You don't know who you're selling to because you don't have a contact with with the customer. You don't even when we receive um, an order from Uber and for um, security purposes we don't we don't know what they leave or, or anything like that we just have a, a name right and they'll tell you if they've ordered before. now they'll tell you how many times they've ordered so you can start knowing if they're repeat customers if you are in these ghost kitchens you have no contact with the customer whatsoever i think it is another way of the you know big corporations getting into small gentrification areas and just take over i'm also curious in an industry that is so known for its rate of failure, I think short-term startups actually might last a little bit longer because the the cost of entry isn't as dramatic as building out your own restaurant. I mean, in 30 days and for twenty to $25,000, you can get open. But after two years, which is like kind of one of the breakpoints in the industry, you're, you've paid $120,000 in rent, and all of a sudden you're you haven't developed the brand beyond what's the online presence. And I think that would be, I think we're going to see that that's not going to work. We're in the middle of looking at a project that was designed to stimulate a neighborhood that doesn't have food. It was designed to bring smaller entrepreneurs into the community that were already established in other parts of the South Atlanta community. And it was originally budgeted that you were going to be able to open a, con- a food service container or a container for a retail business, but we were a food service, obviously, for about $75,000, which is very affordable. And you were going to own the container and rent the land. Well, we're, we're, it's been over a year that this project's still, st- still stuck, and now we're trying to figure out how to get the costs under $120,000. And this is for 320 square feet of 
re- of space. And you know, we have a history with with the city and with the city investment arm. So we're we're working with them on making this project more viable instead of just saying this is what it is, and you either make it work or you don't. But it leads the question of how much money is a young entrepreneur, a new entrepreneur supposed to have in order to start one of these businesses? And how are we going to bring these restaurants into these communities and avoid the corporate restaurants if it's not economically viable? It's just, besides the entry cost, let's say that there's programs from the city that gives them the money at you know low interest loans. You still have to pay it back and generate that kind of revenue and then pay the rents. It's just an astronomical figure that I don't know if people who are just starting out in this industry can justify, can achieve, and because restaurants are impossible to loan to get the financing for. I don't know what the answer is other than, you know, creating some kind of private-public partnership where you're using property that exists or the same that they talk about creating affordable housing in all these new developments, right? A certain percentage has to be affordable housing. Maybe affordable retail needs to be a program where Invest Atlanta gets involved because Invest Atlanta is helping these developers build these things that they should require that someone who came from their small business loan programs is a, needs a space at a below market rate. Uh, I love the idea, actually, of percentage of sales. Right. That's my favorite. Yeah. Because if you're successful, I mean, so you're paying the rent because you're making money, right? But the first two years, you cannot really do that. So, and instead of having $25 for a square footage, it should be percentage of the sales that you're creating. If you're creating a project that's going to bring so much traffic, whether it's a retail space or an apartment or a, a pro, you know a condo, if you're promising the bottom floor, the retail floor, that you're going to have business for them, partner with them. Jeanette and I met in San Francisco, as we talked about, and the restaurant we worked with was a was on a tourist site, and we paid a, a standard base fee, but then it was percentage of sales, and it was the, the tourist site job to bring the people on site. As a, as a restaurant in the middle of a tourist site, you weren't going to bring people in. You had, the site had to bring people in. And then if the people were in, it was our job to entice them to come to us over the others. But it was a straight percentage of sales, and the marketplace's logic was if they don't go to Pier Market, they'll go to Dante's, and so they'll get their money either way, right? So they could... 100% focus on getting people onto their site. Well, wouldn't a building have the exact same goal, right? Or, or a, a shopping center or a mall? I mean, we're looking at restaurants, but it, it affects all small businesses and how they, would, how they could get that entry point and then grow. And then there's a potential partnership as the landlord grows. They could go with them and start the same business in other, other communities. But there's also the possibility in, in small communities for them to come together and create these incubator spots for for small businesses right they if communities got together and took over buildings by rehabbing them if this if they're civically owned or buying them if they're privately owned and create them into something that works for the neighborhood you know we talked about and i believe it was the last episode how one of the things that carter was looking at when they invited us to this property was that it served the needs of the property they had bought right this place didn't have any food resources we're not talking about a neighborhood. We're just talking about one piece of property, a million square feet. It's one piece of property, and all they had on here was a soda machine. So there's there's a need in the community to serve your community with what's missing. And so it would be interesting if communities could rally together and try to develop your ideas and and your community to support businesses and give opportunities. 
apple butter, apple pie, apple fritter, apple muffins, apple cider. Like, I've never seen so many things done with an apple at one place. My name is Farah. I work at La Bodega slash Buenos Dias. I came into Buenos Dias as a customer. I would come in daily to get a muffin or a breakfast bowl. Before I started working with them, I looked in the area for like what there is to eat. And I have some friends who like live or work in the area as well. And I'd ask them like, well, in the West End, where do you go for coffee or food? And they had nowhere to go really. Every single day that I've been here, they've been here. And I mean, that does show their dedication and care for it, but also you have to be here to understand who you're working with, who you're working for, and what it is that like the community you're in needs. Tacos shouldn't be five, $10 for a single taco. Like prices should be reasonable. Food options should be acceptable and like just your regular regular thing shouldn't cost you an arm and a leg. Like you can get an apple or banana for a dollar and that makes sense. I would say you can come here and get like your A to Z food things. Like you want to come get a cup of coffee, wait an hour, eat lunch, then get a pastry and get some juice to go home. You could do that. Yeah, and I mean even just talking to like Ken or DJ, they told me about some peanut butter bread recipe that I had made a few months ago and it was like five minutes to whip up, throw it in the oven for an hour and it was delicious. And it's like some great depression bread, but I mean, it, I wouldn't have expected ever to make peanut butter bread. If everybody who is coming to do business in the neighborhood takes also one or two people from the neighborhood to join us, that's the reason we had the window, right? We have, these are neighborhood entrepreneurs who are actually selling their things, you know, creating their own business and start being part of the development. In order for um, not leave our communities behind, we should partner with developers, we should partner with the community as well and see where the need is. So we have um, an incubator program in La Bodega where we uh, have micro-entrepreneurs in the food business. They are start trying to develop their business. So by the time they are ready to get into a space in their own, the development is gonna be flourishing, not just for the developer, but also for the community. I think yeah, they Does get that make sense? yeah, they get they they have sales records. They have a history of what they're doing. They have sales history for banking and financing. They have a community following. Ideally, they'll stay in the community. I think, I think we have an interesting challenge, Jeanette and I. We're not part of the community. I'm white. She's Latin. We're not what is a West End typical person. Sure, she's a woman of color, but she has certainly in this country suffered from the exact same um, current stigmas that people in this community face at the same time we have to show that by being accepting of people coming to this community you can actually grow it in a positive manner so by creating the window we don't we don't necessarily limit um who pops up there to just people of color but that's who comes here because that's who's in the community and that's a good thing right that that's fine there's no reason for you to do a pop-up if you're in Dunwoody. You should be popping up in Dunwoody, right? So we're having pop-ups with people who work in the West End, create in the West End, market in the West End, social media is reaching out to the West End and Adair Park and all these communities. And 
they want eventually to move their business on their own in this community when these new developments or these new business areas come about. And so it's a, it's a great opportunity to show that smart growth with the right partners will allow this community not only to grow but will thrive and become stronger because you can't isolate yourself. And I don't think that the West End isolated itself other than how it was forced to isolate. I, I don't know the history well enough, but I would imagine this was a corner where they were allowed to be and nobody else cared. And so now it's for up to them to say, we're thriving and we're going to grow and be better. West End and Adair Park are changing neighborhoods. I don't, I'm still not comfortable saying they're gentrifying neighborhoods. I think there's too much existing infrastructure that's not going to go away to call it a gentrified neighborhood. But I think they're changing neighborhoods in that there's an awareness of their sense of place in the community, in the city of Atlanta, and how they need to support within the community. And I think the bodega is doing a really good job of reaching out to that community and making sure that they're part of what's going on here and at the same time when we go out to the farmers markets and talking to consumers who know us from before there there seems to be a belief that individual businesses artisanal producers and people who are taking the time to carefully make good food are going to be the businesses that are supported post-covid in talking to the community when we go out to the farmer's markets, there's there's definitely a move towards healthier, fresh food, but there's also a move towards supporting local business. There's also the knowledge of trying to cook at home and how hard it is, and so people are supporting those that are doing the cooking in a way that's similar to how you would cook something at home but on a bigger scale. So I think going forward, the businesses that have taken the time to engage and curate consistency for their consumers will continue to grow that and make that the the point of interest to people when they're choosing where to go out. I think people are going to go out less. I don't, I don't I think they're going to figure out that it's better to spend more money less times than it is to spend money all the time. And I think I'm not saying you have to charge more. I'm just saying I think you will see people coming for more than just grabbing something to eat. They will intentionally come to spend money at your business maybe only once a week instead of a little bit three times a week. For the longest, we have been saying, I don't have time for my family. I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to sleep. So the universe send us the time, right? A break, you know, because we are just exhausted of things. And... It's time for us to slow down and review. Are we really being neighbors? Are we really being friends? Once the universe has sent you the opportunity to slow down and really, you know, think about your life. And I think that people is going to value more the services that they receive from people. Um, We always say um, that everybody should have at least once in their lifetime a customer service job in order for everybody to appreciate the people who serve you. So it's it's, it's that part that I think this pandemic hopefully have 
bring us together instead of, you know, separate us more. La Bodega has embraced the idea of being a grocery. I think we're going to have the energy of a busy and bustling production facility that has products for the community that you can take home and make your own food as well as food that we've made for you that's good and healthy. And I think there'll be less emphasis on coming here to hang out and sit and eat and drink. That's not what we're... I don't think that's where we're going to be because I don't think that's what people are going to want to do. My vision is hopefully by the time we get in back to normal and starting, you know, getting busy again, you still can have that fresh products in La Bodega and at the same time you're supporting a local maker. The uncertainty we face now is worldwide, but the uncertainty in small business is every day. And so this is just an opportunity for small business to show what they do on a daily basis, how they have to adjust based on outside influences in order to meet the needs of communities. And if you're able to do that now, you're going to be the strongest when this is all over. And that's something to keep in mind going into small businesses, that this is what it is like every day anyway. It's just now you have the outside influence of something different than just the flow of business. We're kosher guacamole. We're Jewish and we're Latin. And this is our podcast. Ha, 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 ha.